Good morning, everybody. This is Omar Serrano with the Tilted Lawyer Podcast and a very happy Thanksgiving to you. This morning on this new episode of the Tilted Lawyer Podcast, we're going to do a deep dive examination into what marriage is. What is the state of marriage in the year of our Lord, 2023? And how is it being affected by modern ideologies such as the red pill ideology that seems to be creeping up on social media platforms everywhere? I haven't done this yet, but I felt as a man that divorces people for a living that it deserved an honest review uh, from yours truly. So let's get started. Whatever you might be going through and wherever you might be. This is Omar Serrato with the Tilted Lawyer Podcast. I'm here to take your mind off of things. Yes, I'm an attorney. No, I'm not giving you legal advice. We're going to sit and talk like people as these are the candid thoughts of one practicing attorney and it's after hours. So have a seat. Feel free to have a drink and join me. Let's get started. And we're back. So... There is a growing, I just created a TikTok account. And in the course of doing that specifically for this show, I ran across a number of uh, folks that were going all in on marriage as in why would a man want to get married? And, you know, women are this and men are that. And it just feels so much like men and women nowadays in 2023 and it's really not anything new but it just feels like rather that men and women who are single or contemplating marriage or have failed at marriage or are in a marriage that is failing or or whatever the case may be men and women equally are so self-indulged into the evils of the opposite sex or the same sex the opposite partner if you will to the point where I'm starting to see noticeable effects on how it's affecting people that are currently married. People that come to me asking for me to divorce them the way that the laws dictate in the state of California. And I wanted to talk about it. The way that marriage is viewed in the eyes of the law is as a contract, not even a social contract. It's it's viewed as a deliberate contract between a man and a woman. And there's many reasons for that. But if you were to look at what the general tenets of marital vows, marriage vows, what they are, they all have kind of the same characteristics. And if you've gotten married or are thinking about getting married or have considered writing your own vows, this is what you generally say. There's usually, there's five components to it. The first one is usually a commitment to love and to cherish your partner typically promises to, uh, to love and cherish, to love and cherish your partner, right? There's usually a promise of fidelity, a commitment to remain faithful to one another, signifying the exclusive and monogamous nature of a relationship. There is a promise to support each other in good times and bad, to support each other in good times and bad. Uh, there's a, usually vows that encompass mutual respect and equality, a partnership, as opposed to man having dominion over a woman or a woman having dominion over a man. What we are viewing this going into it, for the most part, is a partnership. And then finally, it's a lifelong partnership until death do his part. Those are the vows. And because of that, 
the law creates certain presumptions in a marriage. What are those presumptions? There's a whole series of statutes and case law and family law that recognizes certain presumptions. One such presumption is the marital presumption under Family Code Section 7544 in the state of California, which states that when a husband and wife are living together, the husband is deemed responsible for his wife's child if it is conceived during their cohabitation. If you guys have a kid together, then there is this presumption. This specific case said the husband, but really both parties are going to be responsible equally for uh, the upbringing and care of the child. That comes out of a case called a state of Franco, uh, where there was an argument about uh, that specific question, and then they answered it. And they based it off of the public policy of uh, we recognize that you take these vows and based on these vows, it's only one could only reason uh, that we're to both be equally responsible for bringing up the children that are the result of this marriage. Another presumption is the community property presumption under Family Code Section 760. And by Family Code, I mean California Family Code. And there are similar laws pretty much across the board nationwide, you know, subtle differences here and there between the states. But and for the most part, this is pretty universal, um, and if you get married in America anyway. And that presumption simply states that all property that is acquired after marriage, the date of marriage, within the marital timeline, meaning the date of marriage to the date of separation, except for property that's acquired by gift, bequest, devise, descent, or you know, um, anything outside of the timeline, inheritance, that kind of a thing, there's exceptions. And the simplest way to put it is, Every dollar that you make within the confines of a marital timeline is 50 cents yours and 50 cents hers and vice versa. And that's just how it is. It's a presumption that's based off of the marital vows that mostly exist. Everything coming into the marriage is half yours, half hers. If you guys have children, you guys are going to be both responsible for the child, that kind of thing. If you guys purchase a house together, regardless of whose name is on the title, we're just going to assume that it's both yours, unless we have a writing that specifically says to the contrary that this is going to be deemed the separate property of one spouse or the other. It's pretty strict, and it's based off of, historically, um, marriage, what marriage has been, and it's been centered around those specific vows, a commitment to each other, a partnership with each other that we are going to pool our resources into a marital context and fight the universe together equally in sickness and in health until death do us part. Uh, no matter uh, whether or not you did the dishes, regardless of whether or not I'm bored with you or not, regardless of whether or not you hurt my feelings, regardless of whether or not you're viewed as emotionally supportive of your spouse, whatever the case may be, there's going to be times when you don't feel like doing it, but you have vowed yourself to your partner, and it's a partnership. That's what a marriage is. And too many of the complaints that I see from my clients, in particular, um, and not even, of course, not just um, limited to my clients, but a lot of the things that I start hearing is, wait a minute, so you want me to get married and give this lady half of my stuff? Why would I do that? Exactly. Why would you do that? I don't disagree with that reservation, not one bit. If you don't want to commit yourself to a person to such a degree as what I just as what I just described, then never, ever, ever get married unless you're 100% sure that you want to make that commitment. Too many people treat marriage as the final boss of adulthood. We learned from watching Sleeping Beauty 
and Beauty and the Beast and all of these Disney movies that marriage is what happens at the end of the story when everybody lives happily ever after. And so it's an expectation of what you're supposed to do. Absent a realization of the severity of the vows that you are voluntarily stepping into. And when you view it that way, and when you go into it without realizing that you are committing yourself to a person, the word committing implies servitude. You are committing yourself to servitude of your spouse. Not like you're a slave, but you are not just committing to give her half of your stuff. You're not just committing to give him half of your stuff. You are for all intents and purposes, 100% giving yourself 100% of you to that person. It is a life of servitude to your husband. It is a life of servitude to your wife. Meaning there are going to be times where yes, you receive the benefits and the pleasures and all of the good things that come along with marriage but at the same time, you have to take those with the times where it's going to be hard, where you're going to feel emotionally drained, where you're going to feel depressed because he's not doing this or that, or because she's not recognizing this or that, or whatever the case is, there's going to be times in your marriage where it's not perfect and you don't get to play the victim like, oh, I'm so depressed because of X, Y, or Z. You have given yourself to that person, which means that whatever is ailing you, whatever is going on internally, that's not the end of the story. There's two persons to this partnership. And there's also something going on internally with your spouse. And so many people fall into this trap that I have noticed anyway, where they focus inwardly and victimize themselves based on the shortcomings that they have identified from their partner that is not satisfying them in whatever regard it is. And deciding that because of that, I'm not going to give 100% of myself the way that I vowed. And that's where the breaks in the marriage start to happen. That's where the fissures start to form. And the longer that those go unchecked, well, then you end up paying a, a visit to a, a guy like me. And we talk about what are the legal ramifications of splitting up your assets and debts, because that's really what a divorce is all about. That's what marriage is. That's, that's the deal. And so why get married? Personally, I've been married twice. I know what it is like to be in a bad marriage. It feels like you're going to die. There's no gentle way of putting it. I've been myself through a divorce. I got married when I was very young, 22 years old. I wasn't by no means ready to enter into a serious contractual agreement such as what I just described is what the law views a marriage to be. Um, but I did it anyway. And um, it ended up badly. I got married in my 20s. I got divorced in my 20s. And um, being a part of that relationship, trying to operate in the confines or the requirements of what that marital relationship asked of me and asked of her and um, seeing it fall apart, well, it felt like I was going to die. I literally felt the longer that I stayed in that relationship, the greater the chance that I was going to be dead. It's just, it felt that way. It felt that way. I felt sick all of the time. I felt depressed all of the time. And so I know when people are going through these things, exactly what they're going through, it hurts. It hurts. And it's scary. 
and you don't want to talk about it. And it's, it's difficult to find people to relate because when you're going through it, it is so catastrophic to your life. Everything that you've built up for whatever, however short period of time or long period of time is, you are fundamentally changing the landscape of your life going forward and stepping in to a future that is unwritten, which I mean, kind of we all are doing, right? But you're doing it in a way where you're changing your deck of cards and you don't know what you're going to get. And it's scary and it sucks. And I've also been a part of a good marriage and I've, you know, I've been able to experience what it means to live up to the vows that you take, what it means to fully embrace and accept that you have 100% given yourself to another person and they have in kind given themselves to you and what it looks like when both people acknowledge and work towards that goal and how it feels when things are falling short. But, you know, you have this committed, um, you have committed to making it work and committed to, you know, no matter what happens, we're a team and a partnership. It just, it feels better. It doesn't make it easy. It just means that you have two people that are ready to take on the covenant of the vows uh, that I have described at the beginning of this show. And that's what a marriage is. So when men go down this rabbit hole of the red pill generation of men, where they are going all in on women about women being unrealistic and why would a man marry a woman? What do you do for us? What kind of value do you add to my life? Um, Why would I give you half of my stuff? I don't disagree with any of it. Because if that's really how you feel, you're not, you're, you're kind of dead in the water. If you get married under those, uh, with those things swimming around your head, if you get married, you're married your, your marriage is dead in the water. There's not a chance in hell and it's going to work out. And for women, if you're, guilt, if you're, if you're getting into a marriage with anything less than the intention of 100% giving yourself to your spouse and being willing to put up with their imperfections and all of the times where you're going to feel emotionally alienated because men and women are not built the same. And because of that, you're going to withhold certain things or you're going to um, make up certain excuses to uh, not do certain things or, or whatever the case may be, then your marriage is dead in the water. This is a, this is a grown folks business. If you're under the age of 25 and you're thinking about getting married, I highly recommend against it. If you're under the age of 30, I might highly recommend against it. If you are if you are entering into a marital arrangement, then you should go into it with the full understanding that you're not doing it for romance. You're not doing it for sexual attraction. You're not doing it for happiness even. You are doing it for legacy. And legacy is built on the sweat and tears of conflict of perseverance, of adversity. You're going to go through all of those things. If you want to build a legacy, you're going to have to break through all of those impediments to secure your legacy. And if you're choosing to do that with a spouse, then you better be damn sure that you're willing to pay the cost. And what is the cost? It's not just half of your stuff, buddy or lady. It's not just giving them half of your things. It's giving them 100% of you. And if you are unwilling to do that for any reason, and I don't judge, I applaud you for coming to the realization that it's not a good contract. You're right. It's not. It makes no logical sense why you would do that for somebody unless you have deemed that person worthy of doing such a thing. And if you are not, 
If you are not ready to make that commitment, then marriage is such a bad idea. And you will be in my office probably within some time in the next 10 years or so. Uh, maybe, maybe, uh, some, maybe a little bit longer, maybe a little bit less. But it's inevitable. That's why so many marriages fail. Some marriages stay together out of attrition because they don't have the financial wherewithal to separate. They, don't, they can't afford to live apart. And they become financially dependent on each other because it just, it just happens. It happens. Some people do it because they want to stay together for the kids. Some people uh, do it because, um, you know, they're, they're afraid of change. But that could only hold up for so long. Inevitably, somebody's going to get fed up. Somebody's going to ask for a divorce. And the reasons run the gamut of why men and women divorce. I've seen, do I notice a difference between why women divorce men and why men divorce women? Um, No, not really. I would say that they are pretty closely linked together. And I'll tell you what, um, when I see, when I see young people getting divorced, it's usually because they were in over their head about why they chose to get married. They had no idea why they were doing what they were doing. They did so because of family pressure, maybe pressure from their friends, maybe because they thought that was the next logical conclusion and they didn't have the maturity or the foresight to realize that maybe we should pump the brakes on this relationship because we're only 23 and we're still building our empire both within ourselves and you know with each other. So look, if you're going to still be here in five years and I'm still here in five years, then great. We can do what we got to do. There's no reason to get married while we're still in undergrad or just getting out of college. There's no reason to do that. Why would you do such a thing? I don't know, but people do. I mean, I did. It ended up in disaster. I mean, it ended up, I mean, obviously with my eldest, you know, that was uh, the shining um, prize and uh, having to go through that. And I wouldn't take that back for anything. Uh, but, you know, the marriage aspect of it was disastrous because I was a child and she was a child and we weren't ready. And it doesn't have anything to do with who was a good or a bad person or the reasons why are not important. Just you're not ready to make the awesome commitment that marriage requires. And I don't think that people really fully understand what a 100% commitment giving yourself to a partner really entails unless you've actually lived it. And even how could you possibly know if you're living it or not if you've never done it? It's just such a hard thing. It's an easy thing to explain and conceptually to understand. It's much harder in practice to actually pull it off. The ones that do, um, you can kind of tell. But most fall short of that. And it's not something to be ashamed of. Most have to grow into that understanding and make the decision um, over and over again post-marriage uh, that, oh, this is what marriage actually means, or this is what the commitment entails. And I didn't realize that at first, but you know what? I still commit. I'm going to I'm gonna do my best. And then that's when you get into marriage counseling, and that's where you have to get into forgiveness and showing empathy and, um, you know, really being committed to your partner because, look, people make mistakes, and you're going to fall short in your marriage um, multiple times in many different ways. And if you don't have the ability... Uh, to reset yourself or your partner doesn't have that ability, um, then that is a marriage that is dead in the water because you're not going to find a perfect married couple. Of all of the married couples, it's really sad when I see, you know, people have been married for 20 plus years and most often those kinds of marriages, they just end so um, 
the hurt is so palpable uh, with those people. I mean, I just had a case where it was literally um, a 22-year marriage, and then the guy, he starts deciding to have a midlife crisis in his, his, his uh, lower 60s, and he, I guess, gets a girlfriend um, 20, 30 years younger than his wife or something like that, and decides that, you know what, I'm going to up and leave and move to India. And leaving his wife behind of 20 plus years, who's never worked because, you know, she stayed home and took care of the kids. She gave herself 100% to this person and he decided to throw it all away because he had some kind of a, a senile moment or maybe it was a moment of weakness or maybe it was, a, I don't know, but he just decided to burn it all down. And now they're going through this divorce and literally left her with the mortgage, left her with all the bills, uh, took um, almost all of the money in the savings account and, you know, just thought he was going to get away with it. And he's trying to like sweep this all under the rug. The guy's delusional. And so we had to take measures to make sure that this lady was safe and we've done those things. But I see that happen a lot. And I've seen it happen with men too, where, you know, a man gives himself 100% to a woman. And then at the very end, the woman decides that, Oh, you know what? This guy is just, you know, he's a nice guy and all. He's a wonderful man. Wonderful, wonderful man. I can't find fault with him, but you know what? He just doesn't understand me emotionally. He's never going to understand me emotionally. I have emotional needs and, you know, he's just kind of there and he doesn't say the right things. He doesn't know what to say and he doesn't um, relate to what I'm trying to say. He doesn't know how to be emotional with me or whatever. Um, but this other guy does. And so I'm just going to go explore that and, you know, nothing for nothing against him, but he's boring. And so I don't want to be bored all my life. And so I'm just going to end this. I deserve to be happy. And she decides to scrap it, breaking the vows. And um, she's not, I mean, imagine that. And what did the guy do wrong? Nothing, nothing. He's living his life with somebody he's given 100% of his life to. And wife just decides to pull the plug because uh, she just decided 20 plus years in that she's bored. Was there another guy in the picture? Not really. I mean, so she says, but you know, is there somebody else in the picture? Probably. I don't know the answer to the to, to all of the questions, but it, it, it happens where you have people who commit to each other, but their commitments are unmatched. Or maybe they're matched. But if you have no experience dealing with adversity in life, or you are partnered with somebody that doesn't have any experience going through adversity in life and you expect them to go and fulfill this lifelong commitment to you. And then you're surprised, you know, when 20 years down the road, they've fallen short because they're so caught up in their own internal victimization about all the things that you're not giving to them that they've never told you about, that they decide that they're just going to book and leave you with the mortgage or leave you with the kids or leave you with whatever. And, you know, lots of luck to you, but I can't be with somebody so boring as you. I deserve to be happy. Um, you know, I mean, you can't really be surprised, can you? Which is why you have to be 100% discerning when you're going about the process of figuring out who your partner is. And I love talking about this topic right now during the holidays because everybody's kind of in the mood. It's the slow season uh, for for a family law. People that are planning on getting divorced are, are, are firing their, their last Hail Marys hoping that maybe the, the holidays is going to bring it all together and, and make it all worth it. Or maybe they're just waiting till after the holidays because, you know, nobody wants to get divorced during Christmas or New Year's, Thanksgiving or whatnot. But people tend to be more reflective. And I've just had a whole bevy of cases where I've just been 
awfully frustrated uh, by the sickening behavior on the part of some of the parties of these marriages that I'm seeing. Um, and I just had to reflect, why is this happening? <laughs> like, it, I, I realize it's nothing new. You go back and you listen to marital family therapist um, conducting therapy sessions from like the 50s and 60s. And I swear it's like 70 years ago, 70, 60 years ago, but it's some of the same issues that I see pop up when people are sitting in front of my office. It's, you know, it's the same stuff, just 60, 70 years removed. Our issues that we have with each other are nothing new. They've been the same going back to the dawn of man to when we started making um, organized marriage a thing. And so you shouldn't be surprised uh, that there is a body of law that has fundamentally examined all the aspects of what a marriage is supposed to be. And as a basis of that, with the law of family law uh, being a law being a body of law based in equity, that there are certain presumptions that exist that, okay, so you guys said uh, that you guys are going to be together until death do you part. Well, there's a presumption then that what's his is yours, what's yours is his. And so we're going to have community property. And then you guys are certainly going to breed children. Um, so we're just going to assume that you guys meant to do that together and that you guys are going to be both responsible for the child. And, you know, that's where all of these presumptions come from. If you don't want to get married under those under such strict uh, contractual obligations, both spiritual and tangible, there's ways around it. Just write a prenup. I do. I write prenups all the time. I got. I got. I have it down. So you don't want to give her half your stuff. Fine. Uh, I will carve out a section that says that all money or, or all items obtained by you and only you during marriage are only going to be yours, and the same for her. And then. You don't want to pay spousal support. You don't want to have to worry about alimony. Then fine. Let's terminate it together. I can do whatever you guys want to do so long as it's legal. Most things are legal. Uh, most people don't ask me to do illegal things or write illegal things into contracts. Um, but it's very easy to do. But most people, I would say probably 95% of individuals that get married don't do so with a prenuptial agreement. Why? Because it's, it's kind of a, a yucky topic to talk about with your spouse. And at the same time, uh, when people are uh, getting married or in the process of getting married, they are eternally optimistic about what this marriage is going to be and what it's going to become. And I can't blame them for that. Of course, why would they? There might be harboring uh, re, uh, you know, reservations uh, that remain unspoken, but you know, people go into it with the best of intentions. And I really believe that when they make those vows, they intend to keep them. They just either don't have the wherewithal to keep them or they don't understand what those words actually mean in practice, or somewhere along the, uh, along the way, they just uh, get tired of it and say, the hell with it. I'm breaking the vows. I understand what I'm doing. So one of the big issues that I hear a lot people are most concerned with, um, and rightfully so, is the law of spousal support. Because it's not just you give people half of your stuff. That's, it's not all it is, but there's also a spousal support aspect of it. And it's like, why is that? Why do I got to give her half of my things and then got to pay her thousands of dollars a month just so that she can have, um, continue to live the life that she's grown accustomed to? Why do I got to do that? Well, the body of law and why that was established, it comes from the ecclesiastical courts and English law. And the laws of the United States of America are largely based in English law. And originally, um, alimony emerged in English ecclesiastical courts uh, during a time when divorce was not possible 
you can only be legally separated. And then this context reflects uh, the policy that marriage was a lifelong commitment, lifelong commitment, even back then in the 1600s, 1700s. Um, and that upon separation, the financially stronger spouse, which was historically the husband, especially going way back then, they didn't believe so much in um, equal rights back then between genders. Uh, but the, the, the financially stronger spouse was obligated to support the weaker spouse. Um, and that's just kind of how it was because it was fair. And it's just this idea. It's like you guys go into this lifelong commitment together. And then way back then, you couldn't even get divorced. It was just a legal separation. It's okay. You get separated. Be separate. That's fine. But you still got to support her. And in a very rare occasion, you still got to support him. So the roots of that specific ideology could be traced all the way back uh, to the Code of Hammurabi. So in the Code of Hammurabi, it's this ancient Babylonian script, text, and it essentially says, If a man wish to separate from a woman who has borne him children, or from his wife who has borne him children, then he shall give that wife her dowry and a part of the usufruct of field, garden, and property so that she can rear her children. And so it was this idea based in equities. It's only fair. You guys said you have this lifelong commitment together. You Now you guys have children. Well, if you want to leave, you can leave, but you got to give her something to do that. You, you can't just leave her high and dry, especially with the children. So historically, let's just talk about modern days, late 1800s, early 1900s. Historically, uh, women often lacked the ability to go out and get work because... You know, I mean, back then, before, prior to 1919, women didn't have the legal ability to cast a vote, a political vote in the United States. That didn't come until, well, 1919, women's suffrage. So women historically, they lacked the ability to work, to own property, to create their own economic dependency from their husbands. And so alimony laws were therefore they emerged to protect women from financial destitution following a divorce. So just because now you're 45, 50 years old, 55 years old, and you want to, you're feeling a little bad about yourself, you're having this midlife crisis, and then you start getting attention from your, your 25 year old secretary, and you start noticing that your wife is getting a little bit older and on in years. Um, and then you have it in your head that you're just going to go run away with this young girl and leave your wife high and dry. The law says, you know, based going back all the way back to ancient Babylon that we're not, not that's not no we're not we're not doing that we're not doing that if you're going to do that you're going to find a way to try to make her whole because this is in essence what is it it's a breach of contract you guys have contracted to live your lives together and now you are breaking these vows and just you're gonna leave her high and dry she depended on you she gave her life to you she's raising your children she allowed you to ascend to where you're at in your career now you're just going to leave with the bills or maybe without just kick her out of the house to move in the young woman no we're not doing that we're not doing that that's where the laws of the law of alimony really comes from um there's a very famous uh album um marvin gay album i believe it came out in 1978 but don't quote me on that um, but it was born out of a judicial instruction. So when Marvin Gaye, and if you're unaware of who Marvin Gaye is, he came about in a time in the 60s and 70s where you had these instantly recognizable recording voices, these iconic, iconic voices um, that if you play them on the radio, oh, that's Luther Vandross, that's Whitney Houston, that's Marvin Gaye. He's one of those guys. I mean, one of the probably one of the top five greatest 
recording artist of all time, just hands down. Um, he was very famous back in the mid seventies. He had married the daughter of Barry Gordy, Anna, Anna Gordy. And when he married her, and again, don't quote me specifics, but I believe he was something like 22 years old. Anna Gordy was 37 years old. And they went on this tumultual, tumultuous 12-year marriage. Uh, had its ups and downs, but it was wildly um, uh, dramatic. Uh, Marvin Gaye was, uh, you know, very much a kid, but he was a superstar. And, you know, recording artist and all this craziness, uh, drugs, adultery, um, all of it. Um, anyway, at the end of their 12-year marriage, which came in, I believe it was 1976, um, he was ordered to pay his wife alimony. Now, back then, uh, Marvin Gaye, although he was one of the highest paid superstars, musical superstars that there was, um, he owed a considerable amount of taxes and he was essentially broke. And so the judge said, okay, well, how are we going to make this right? What are we going to do? Uh, because there are laws, and especially back then as they, as they exist now, um, that she was accustomed to a certain life. And so how do we make this right? And look, if you examine every single case on its merits individually, you're going to run into cases of unfairness um, and cases that were um, 100% fair. What uh, this specific case, where it falls along the lines, I'm not sure. I just know that the judge had ran through factors and they decided that, well, in order to make Anna Gordy uh, and in order to make Anna whole Marvin Gaye's ex, she is entitled to a certain amount of alimony. Okay. But you don't have an ability to pay. So what did they make him do? They said, you are going to give her 100% of the proceeds from the next album that you record. And that's how we're going to do it. And so Marvin Gaye having no ability to really say no and an interesting ruling because I'm not even sure of the legality of such an order. I think as an attorney, I might challenge uh, the legality of forcing somebody into servitude such that they have to perform and work for the sole purpose of giving 100% of the proceeds to another person. I understand the reasoning behind it, but I also understand the arguments against it because it's illegal to basically contract somebody into indentured servitude, which arguably this was. So he writes an album. And if you've never listened to it before, I urge you to give it a listen full on. Listen to it, track one, all the way to however many tracks it is. I think it's like 10, 11 tracks. But it is a full-on diary of what that marriage was. It takes you from the good times to the bad times. Um, you could kind of get a sense for the emotional despair uh, that Marvin was going through at the time, just in the lyrics. And just to give you an ex a, a sample um, he writes specifically as to alimony. So there is a track on the Hear My Dear album. And I just wanted to read to you some of the lyrics because I can't really play the song. Um, now, what that album really entailed was a personal diary where Marvin just kind of just laid it all out there, put out his business, uh, put out her business, um, in a very deeply personal, painful way. And so I don't know what Anna, Anna's reaction was to listening to this, but one, one of my favorite passages from these lyrics is from this song called, Is That Enough? 
And at the very end of the song, it's this very jazzy, very dark, dense, jazz-infested atmosphere. You can kind of just, if you're picturing it in your mind's eye, him in the recording studio when it's dark, dimly lit, there's a cigar smoke in the air, probably alcohol somewhere close by. And it's the very end of the song. And, you know, he has, he recites these lyrics in his Marvin Gaye voice. You got a flair for style. And the style is all the while. What could I do? The judge said she's got to keep on living the way she's accustomed to. She's trying to break a man I don't understand. Somebody tell me, please, why do I have to pay attorney fees? This is a joke. I need a smoke. And then the song concludes. But just very deeply emotional riffs um, in that song and really in that entire album there's uh aspects of love and romance there's aspects of pain and despair uh, he talks about his drug use he talks about running around with prostitutes he talks about meeting her again in another life and he talks about meeting some other young girl that was actually the inspiration behind um his 1973 hit let's get it on uh she was like 16 years old at the time you know there's lots of lots of issues with uh with those things but um I urge you to give it a listen because it kind of encapsulates it, it encapsulates perfectly what emotions you go through when you are in the throes of divorce, specifically when you're talking about, you know, your this the realization of what you vowed to do and how that's just not going to happen and what is the penalty I gotta pay with, you know, all of my stuff, you know, my children, my my money. Uh, I gave him my name and all of the stuff. And there's another uh, portion of it where he, he speaks specifically about marital vows. And here's what he had to say about it. He says, you know, when you say your marriage vows, they're supposed to be for real. I mean, if you think back about what you really said, you know, about honor and loving and obeying until death do his part and all. But it shouldn't be that way. It should be lies because it turns out to be lies if you don't honor what you said. You lied to God. The words should be changed. And then he goes on to say, what he would change it to. So if a fresh new love comes in, I won't say those words again. Instead, I'll try. I'll say, I'll try to love and protect you with all of my heart as long as you want me to. And then, you know, but he laments uh, what he vowed to do and how there's kind of an admission about he couldn't live up to those vows and neither could she. Um, and you got to be careful about what you're vowing because if you're breaking those vows, you've lied to God. And, and Marvin Gaye was a very deeply religious man. He grew up uh, with very strict religious parents, specifically his father, who ultimately took his life at the age of 46, about 1984. And um, so he was very spiritually torn. And you could see that all throughout the album. But again, if you were ever curious about what it's like to go uh, through a divorce and you just wanted to kind of sample it, catch a sample. I urge you to sit down on a Friday night or a Saturday night or during a long drive and just let that album play while you're having a drink or smoking a cigar or smoking something else and just really get in uh, to the depth of pain that is written into those words and those lyrics and really into the harmonies and the music. It's a beautiful album. It didn't sell very well, so I didn't really get a whole lot of what she was hoping for or expecting. Uh, but it serves to be a uh, it serves to be an audio journal about what divorce really feels like. Uh, but before we get too deep into the woods about that, 
So I want to go in and talk about in my journey into um, TikTok, as I've been setting this up and going through some of the things that is being put out there, um, it's nothing new, but there is something called the red pill generation or more um, perhaps better known as the manosphere. And it's this, this overarching male philosophy about how men should be, about the evils of women, about how to look out for the evils of women. And it, it really originated um, back in the 60s. Now, when you see some of these people like, um, I don't know, the Fresh and Fit podcast, uh, that guy Myron, the Andrew Tates of the world, and some of the nonsense that is coming out of their mouths, what they're saying comes on the heels of, you know, many that came before them, specifically back in the 60s and 70s. Um, in the 70s, 60s, 70s, even going to the 80s, there was an emergence of men that were strictly juxtaposed to the women's liberation mo movement of the 60s. You know, this feminist movement about how they're asserting their feminine rights. There was a pushback from a select group of males um, that said, oh, well, you know, that's not fair. What about males' rights? And they kind of formed the foundation for what you see some of those guys talk about now. Um, the a lot of the views that were taught way back then in the 60s and 70s, as you could imagine, were often characterized as uh, misogynistic. Um, in the ninth, <laughs> I mean, to put it lightly, um, it was just pushback against women's liberation, women's rights, you know, well, male's rights. And, you know, the hell with the women's liberation movement. That's kind of what it, what it felt like. And then in the 1990s, in the 1990s, as the Internet started to become popularized and more accessible to the masses, there started to emerge um, online communities. Uh, and these platforms really became the breeding grounds for like-minded individuals to discuss various topics, including men's issues. Um, and this period kind of marks the beginning of what we now refer to as the manosphere. Fast forward to about 2005, and there was this gentleman by the name of Neil Strauss, and he wrote uh, a best-selling book um, called The Game. And it was, again, published in 2005. It provided a look into the world of Pickup artist, and I don't know if you remember pickup artists, but they're about as corny as corny gets. Um, even when I was a kid, you know, hearing those people come out, it was just, it was silly. And MTV very famously made a show about it and people make fun of their, you know, their costumes and, and whatnot. But that book back in 2005 served as a catalyst uh, for the expansion of the manosphere, uh, giving it a more mainstream attention. So take that into 2008, 2010. It now becomes... Uh, not just the pickup artist uh, movement. It's the men's rights movement. So we're going back, recycling some of the ideas from the 60s and 70s and bringing it to the forefront. And they start to have these websites and these forums um, on men's rights and uh, they begin to grow and they start tackling issues like family court injustices. Like, why do I got to pay alimony? Why I got to pay child support? False accusations of sexual assault and all these kinds of things. Gender biases and these kinds of things. And if you're unfamiliar, um, before I lose out on the opportunity, one of my favorite clips ever of the whole pickup artist generation is this one. If I could encapsulate it any better in a clip, um, I'm not sure it exists. But this is my favorite clip. And I just to illustrate some of the thinking. Now, the pickup artist generation was basically... 
for all intents and purposes that they have devised a code of how to talk to women that would force them to be able to do whatever you wanted to do. That was, I guess, the premise. But in practice, let's take a look at what that really looked like. You seem kind of like a, a, a bit wacky. Would you rather, do you have OCD or would you rather have like ADD? It seems like you may have possibly both of them. No, I don't have either one. But which one would you choose? I wouldn't. I mean, you wouldn't choose one. Well, why would this I is this to? is a scenario in which I'm asking you a question. Though. Why wouldn't you choose one? I just don't want to. Just to set the backdrop, I believe what this is, and I don't know because I don't. I'm you know the camera's focused on these two people, but it's essentially I think this is a seminar where they're teaching prospective pickup artists how to do it. And I guess this slovenly looking individual with a wrinkled shirt and uh, dirty looking jeans and greasy looking hair is supposed to be the expert. And so he is offering a demonstration on how to talk to women. And this lady that is sitting here, let me see if I can move my face. Uh, this lady who is sitting here was paid to be there. So it's not even a real life. This is just a uh, basic demonstration this is how you talk to women to get them to do what you want. And, and you're going to hear some commentary in the background. Well, are you, I mean, are you scared of having one? Or is that like... It's, no, it's just... It's a hypothetical so, situation. I mean, is right. that really that hard for you to imagine which one would you would rather have? Okay, I, I love this woman because she is so... <laughs> so this person in the narration, I'm not sure who this is, if this is the guy talking or some other... Like, it's him and a buddy. But they're, like, critiquing his performance. It's, it's fascinating to listen to mean that in the wild this is a woman you would turn your back on and walk away from and use really harsh disconnects with to uh, you'd go talk to somebody else and then see if she came back later but in, for the purposes of this we wanted to keep on with her yeah i mean i think what i was thinking based on what you've seen prior about this woman is that the best way to connect with her is to have a conflict with her mm -hmm. and to piss her off and to get her to see if she would soften at that point or or, or get her hyped up and see what happens. Yeah, I like that you said, you, you, you'd ask her this question, she's like, I won't choose this. Well, is it really that hard for you? I mean, what a great, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's a, a strong disconnect, but it really is what a woman who, who is, is this antagonistic is going to need to continue to just stay in the interaction. So let's watch some more. I mean, to me, like ADD, like you seem to have ADD because your eyes are tripping all Okay, I'll pick ADD. <laughs> or OCD, because it seems like you're obsessed with small little details. I mean, which, which one? Uh, OCD, yeah. Which one is it? The, whole, the question a was ADD. to pick one. And I'll now pick you're, ADD. Now you're fluctuating okay. as though you don't really have a formulated opinion. So I, I don't really understand I'll pick that. ADD. So just to break in here a second. So he's really going straight at her uh, in terms of sounds like you don't have a formulated opinion. Um, but notice that she's laughing. He's pushed her, but she's laughing. Now, this is a woman, if you've... I don't think we have any shots of her standing up, but she has large enough breasts that she gets approached all the time. Looking kind of sloppy, something like that, coming Thanks at her. Thanks so fucking lot. So he needs, to, he needs to, to keep her engaging. At this point, this is not something she can really easily walk away from because it's almost like her honor's on the line. But also she's always throwing out these bitch shields. So when she usually mm -hmm. says, go away, and everybody goes away, rather than going right towards the conflict. Right. Now, this is a woman who will bitch shield you pretty hard in a, in a uh, bar, for instance. And if you're not willing to have conflict. Honestly, these guys sound like stalkers.
they sound like the kind of guy that gets rejected by a woman and that, you know, in anticipation of their rejection, they already have these, um, you know, 10, 12, 15 insults lined up, ready to go. Um, and they just talk that way. And at, at some point they're going to snap and decide to follow somebody home and just do horrible things. That's really the vibe that I'm getting off of from these two clowns that are narrating this video. And get into some heat. It's going to be, you're going to get nowhere. What is your name? Jennifer. You're not going to shake my hand? Are you scared? Like, do you think I'm, am I that I think you're looking? a creep. Yeah. Oh, okay. You say that with such a smile, though. Is that? Because that... it's funny. I mean, it's funny when creeps come up and talk really? to you. Really? But 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 it happens kind of all the time. But you're not running away. You're sitting there. Well, I'm being paid to sit here. You're being forced to. <laughs> yeah. That's what all women say to me: is they're being paid to sit next to me. Right. So is that? I mean, is that, you can do better than that in terms of aggression, too. I mean, that's not. I can. I'm not really. That. I'm a kickboxer, but. So you're gonna you're gonna kickbox me? No, but I'm just saying. I, I, I mean, I'm not really that. I don't really right. worry about things like. No. That. I mean, let me get a picture. <laughs> okay, jumping in again. So, you know, most guys hearing from women you're a creep, is is gonna go one of two ways. They're either gonna just you know, put their tail between their legs and run away, or they're gonna be like, well, yeah, well, you're a total bitch. Yeah, fuck you, and then, and then and and basically run away. I don't believe I've ever in my life been referred to by a woman as a creep. I think that it requires a very specific kind of behavior or approach to have somebody uh, rise to the level of calling you a creep. But these gentlemen appear to be fairly comfortable with that terminology. So read from that what you will. No way. And he engaged it. He's like, well, great. What is it about that? I love this. Uh, you can do better than that in terms of aggression. You know? I love that phrase. <laughs> Hopefully it'll come up again in other videos. But. But it's incongruous. She says you're a creep and she's laughing. Yeah. She seems like she's having fun. Yeah. So that's why I want to press into the incongruity. About yeah, I don't think in a bar situation at this point she would just turn and walk away. No, I think she's, she's having too much fun. Yeah, she's, she's much more engaged with you than she would be with a boring, nervous bonehead to totally. approach her. So, I mean, what time is it? I don't have a watch. What's your favorite restaurant? What do you like to eat? Where are you from? Are you guys learning anything? No. Is that pure sarcasm? Are you going to answer one of the questions or not? I don't know. If I was sitting there at the bar and I was witnessing that, I think that's the point of time where I might step in and try to, like, pretend like I'm her friend or I'm back from the restroom or, like, try to come to the rescue or somewhere or tell that guy to get lost because he's clearly harassing that lady. Um, I would honestly think that if I was witnessing that in person at a bar somewhere, that I would think that this woman was in danger. And you know what? I see a lot of these videos where it feels like the women that are being approached by clowns like this guy, they, they're afraid. What if this guy just decides to attack her? These, you know, serial killer vibes. Um, they don't feel safe. I don't imagine that this lady, if she wasn't being paid to sit there, would feel very safe talking to that guy. She, she, she kind of exposed him and says, you feel like a creep. And that's in the context of her paid attendance um, at, to this conversation. So imagine now this going on at a bar. Seriously, I think that um, anybody that I know or respect um, would identify this scenario as this lady is in trouble and this guy's bothering her. Let's get her out of there or get him away. That's what would happen. This wouldn't happen in real life without some kind of a consequence such that unless he catches her in a dark alley where there's nobody around, in which case... That would be terrifying. And, um, but 
that is, in essence, if I could capture uh, the tenor of the pickup artist generation, I can't think of a better video uh, than this one. So aside from all of that, that kind of progressed into back 2008, 2010, where we're talking about, you know, the injustices of the family court system, about the alimony system, child support, and, you know, community property, and the evils of it all, and, you know, the reasons behind it. Um, And then going into 2012, the Red Pill subreddit emerges. Now, what that was, it's a subreddit, or it was a subreddit on on Reddit, uh, that essentially became the hub for discussing sexual strategy and criticisms of feminism and it popularized the red pill philosophy which suggests that men are disadvantaged and need to wake up to societal biases against them which created this this huge wave of vitriol and violence towards women uh, because you had a group of men that had no ability to deal with their personal rejections And rather than deal with them and improve themselves as men, they chose to gang up on, uh, congregate together and come up with this philosophy and just say, well, it's all the women's fault and we're disadvantaged and they hold all these advantages and, you know, whatever. That's really what this comes from. So in 2014, um, something called Gamergate happened. The Gamergate controversy shed light on the toxicity within certain online male communities, and it was marked by harassment campaigns against several women in the video gaming industry. And if you've ever, I don't know, for example, played Call of Duty, especially way, you know, back then, you know, with the headsets and all, um, you would have, you know, I don't know what the ratios was, but I would imagine something like 98% men to 2% women. And you would have, um, you know, these men talking about, you know, talking amongst themselves, playing the game and, you know, saying whatever they said, juvenile video game, Call of Duty stuff. And then a woman would get on and you would hear this female voice. And then all these men would start harassing her. It was just absolutely horrific for women. Um, And it happened at the professional level where it started to permeate levels into professional gaming. And so it became a thing. Um, Going into 2016 to 2018, this is where you kind of start to see the alt-right movement and the manosphere movement overlap and going back to 2016 donald trump donald trump was just elected president and a lot of folks from the alt-right started to come out of the woodworks and it kind of exacerbated some of these grosser ideologies with the within the red pill movement they overlapped Um, and so the term manosphere became more closely associated with the alt-right and the far-right ideologies and Key figures within that would have been like Milo Yiannopoulos, and I have no idea where he was, but back then in 2016, 2017, 18, people were giving him platforms to spout off this far-right political uh, uh, conversation. And, um, you know, I was not a big fan of Milo. I heard him go on the Joe Rogan podcast once, and uh, some of the things that he had to say was just completely outlandish. But, you know, this is kind of the direction... Uh, where we we, uh, we we headed. In 2019, you have these escalating concerns uh, from major media outlets and research studies began addressing the manosphere as a gateway to far-right extremism. 
and misogyny, particularly after a series of attacks connected to incel ideology. And so really, what do we have? What is the hallmarks of the people that are the main proponents to this? It appears to be a group of wounded individuals who in what appears to be a defense mechanism for dealing with their internal pain of real life rejection have come up with an ideology to counterbalance everything and take off some of the blame from the rejection from themselves and place it on, well, it's just not fair the way that this is set up. The system's rigged against us. Women have the upper hand. What are we going to do about it, men? And then you have the Andrew Tates of the world um, coming in and swooping in and taking up the, um, the, the mantle of leading the charge and, you know, making lots of money off of these folks and spouting off these nonsensical things. And you have these podcasts like the Fresh and Fit podcast that are spousing. Basically what it is, my sense of what the Fresh and Fit podcast is, and I have not watched that show in depth. I've seen clips here and there. But what it looks like to me is you have this one guy, Myron, and there's another guy that kind of sits off to the side that agrees with everything that Myron says. And then they'll have like a group of women come in like in a circle. Who are these women? They're not really credentialed. They're not really anything. They're just literally women off of the street um, that have probably not much of a background in speaking in the public eye going up against uh, Myron and this guy. And then they ask these questions of them and they all gang up on them um, as they give these nonsensical answers and whenever anybody gives an intelligent response it just turns into this really juvenile conversation and we're going to take a listen to some clips just to give you an example because I think it's really important because this is what young men are being taught and is it affecting uh, is it affecting marriage in 2023 going forward um, yes but I don't think that it's anything so much that we haven't seen before in the 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever. It's just the mechanism by for what it it's just the mechanism for which it is being transferred nowadays in 2023. But is it anything new? It's nothing new. Misogyny is nothing new. These kinds of thoughts, thought processes is nothing new. It's always been around. It's just more in the forefront now. But let's listen to what some of these people are being taught, what they're what they're listening to. Uh, let's take a listen. When I asked you guys, would you accept a man that doesn't have a future? He's comfortable where he's at. You guys all were saying no. Some of you have done it before and said, I'm not doing it again. You're doing it right now. And the relationship is in shambles. So clearly it doesn't work. I'm not being an asshole. It's the truth. And I've always said this. Men lead, women follow. Women are not ever put in a position where they're going to support a man. And that's fine. It's a biological reality. Men and women are different. A man can provision for a woman long term, but a woman cannot provision for a man long term. And if she does do it, it's always a matter of time until she says, fuck this shit. I'm out. I'm going to go find another guy. I got to listen to that again. I, I really don't know what he's trying to when say. I asked you that. guys, would you accept a man that doesn't have a future? He's comfortable where he's at. You guys all were saying no. Some of you have done it before and said, I'm. Would you be willing to accept a man that doesn't have a future? Well, given the extreme requirements of marital vows that I laid out at the beginning of the show, I don't think that any man or woman would be willing to accept a partner that doesn't have a future. I just wanted to point that out, but moving along. I'm not doing it again. You're doing it right now, and the relationship is in shambles. So okay, so I guess he's asking this woman 
she must have made some kind of a statement that the guy that I'm with right now uh, doesn't have much of a future or he's not showing ambition or whatever. The relationship is in shambles, which is kind of how that works. If you are with somebody and you're supposed to be lifelong partners and one of them just decides that they're going to give up on their life or they're not going to be ambitious anymore, they're not going to continue to try to improve themselves, that's going to be a problem whether it be you're a man or a woman. And so I think that's kind of the fallacy of this guy's argument. Um, but let me try to listen again. So clearly it doesn't work. I'm not being an asshole. It's the truth. I agree. It doesn't work when somebody decides that they're no longer going to be ambitious. But I, I don't think that that's exclusive to uh, men. And I've always said this. Men lead, women follow. Women are not ever put in a position where they're going to support a man. I'll tell you what. That whole statement, men lead, women follow, um, is not a universal truth. And that's fine. It's a biological reality. Men and women are different. A man can provision for a woman long-term, but a woman cannot provision for, for a man long-term. All right, the age-old question. Why do girls like bad boys? Guys, it boils down to one thing. Bad boys always put themselves first, women second. When you're a bad boy, you always put your needs first over a woman's, and that is inherently attractive to women because women know deep down, instinctually, they are not leaders and must be led. Bad boys inadvertently put themselves first, which inherently makes them attractive. Bam. That is just such a fundamental load of garbage. I don't even know where to begin with that. He, he attributes leadership, the traits of leadership, as uh, being um, only being interested in your own personal needs before others. That is just so fundamentally not what a leader is. And by the way, this guy, Myron, the guy's talking like that. From a guy like me, listening to that, I've already written this guy off as a clown. I wouldn't follow this guy into the parking lot. I would not let that guy lead a crew of workers at Walmart because he's selfish. One of the fundamental tenets of leadership is self-sacrifice. It isn't wise to stand against millionaires. Imagine what horrible fate awaits my enemies when I would gladly kill any of my own men for victory. And I would die for any one of mine. Being aware of the needs of the group and being willing to sacrifice yourself for the betterment of the group because you are the leader. You're the one that they're leaning towards. If you're willing to sacrifice your team for your own benefits, you're not a leader. You're a sabotager. You're a saboteur. That is not what leadership is. And I have no comment about the bad boy comment. I'm not even sure where he was going with that. I guess he's trying to attribute the fact that bad boys, and I'm not sure, I'm not even sure what the full definition of what that is. But I guess to him, bad boys are the leaders because they're the ones that are selfish enough and people recognize that and they gravitate towards their alpha dome. Alpha dome? Alphaness? I don't know. I don't know. Um, my experience is a lot different than that. Leaders fundamentally are the opposite of what he just described. Um, but you hear the inflection in his voice. And to me... I don't know anything about this guy, but this is a deeply emotionally scarred individual that is spouting off nonsense. He's really angry. He's very clearly articulate and intelligent. I'm not sure if he really believes the stuff that he's saying. He may or he may not. But the problem is that a lot of young men are listening to this garbage and they're eating it up because they don't know any better. And there is a fundamental shortage there is an absolute shortage in male role models in today's society. And that's nothing new, not in 2023. It was the same as it was 50 years ago. But 
they're eating this kind of stuff up. And really, this guy didn't say anything. He's not basing it off anything. He's just saying it loud enough and confidently enough where people will follow. And if you do any kind of a social experience, if you experiment, if you say anything confidently enough, certain individuals will follow that and believe you uh, without challenging it, which is basically what he's doing. But my experience does not match what that guy said. It is not based out of reality. Um, leaders are not what he just described. And so I'm not even sure where he was going with that. Let's listen to another clip. Here's the thing that I've noticed with older women. They make more money, right? Money. Yeah. Versus, and, and, and guys are, I mean, guys aren't even, a lot of guys aren't even peacocking. So my thing is like, you got these women, right? That you got guys that are sitting here like, not doing the work, etc. They're made fun of, rightfully so. We make fun of guys that watch porn and fat and losers. Mm -hmm. But we don't make fun of women that aren't willing to put in the work to get guys. We make fun of the guys, but we don't make fun of the women. We champion the women and tell them, yeah, go chase a career. Fuck what men want. Even though you know that they want younger, attractive women that aren't promiscuous, that have traditional values. Fuck that. We're going to chase our career. We're going to be empowered. We're going to do what we want to do. Wouldn't it be fair to say that you kind of lost the right to, be, like, demand a certain man if you're not going to follow what that man wants back in return because if we switch the roles you would never accept the guy that eats cheetos and watches the porn all day what the hell is this guy talking about man i couldn't even follow what he was saying it's just so much nonsense what is he talking about i i can't even it should be equal. yeah i i don't think the two of them can be, are necessarily like mutually exclusive right yeah you know i i do believe that you know you can you know, be in a, like, you know, women can, you know, uh, run a business or do whatever and still have a, a strong man as the head. Like, it's all about, mm -hmm. you know, um, energy balance. Um, yeah, balance. Uh, the, mm -hmm. the balance between the two of them. Yeah. So I don't think that it's necessarily mutually exclusive. Um, again, it's just I really think it depends on the person. You yeah, but career oriented women tend to have certain characteristics. Yes, if it's candid, that, well, you know, if, if you uh, I think if you. OK, OK. Well, I guess he's trying to make the argument that most men do not like career-oriented women because they carry characteristics that garner their success that attribute to masculine traits, which um, is not my experience in reality. Most men that I know, the men that I respect, the men that I trust, when confronted with a successful woman are not intimidated by their success. And they're certainly not intimidated because they have good points to bring up to a discussion. I don't expect that a woman, when I speak to them, that they're going to just automatically submit to me just because I'm a man. When I speak to somebody as a woman, I do it as a person. I, the same way I speak to my wife, with respect and with dignity. And I don't assume that because I am male, that my perspective is any better than hers. And if she has an opinion that disagrees with mine, uh, I don't expect her to fully just submit on the basis of anything other than merit. In other words, whoever's got the better point, then fine. But just because I'm a man and I could talk louder and deeper than you and I'm stronger than you doesn't mean that I'm just going to be right. And if you challenge me, then I'm going to disregard you as a, a, a potential partner because you're showing masculine traits. I'm not looking for that. That's not what most men look for in the reality that I live in. This guy, what he's essentially preaching 
based off of this clip and this clip only, it sounds like is that most men require submissive women. But I got to tell you that, you know, he talks about gender roles and whatever you think about gender roles and traditional gender roles or whatnot. Most people subscribe to them. Some of them don't, and that's fine. But uh, most women in a relationship, even the strong-minded ones, even the career-oriented ones, will submit to um, an appropriate male. Appropriate meaning a respectful, strong, uh, merit-based male. They're not going to submit just because you're a male. But if you prove yourself worthy because of whatever, you're intelligent enough um, and man enough to not be intimidated by their presence just because they might happen to have a little bit of success, um, because they might be able to speak more intelligently than you on certain aspects, um, they value those things and they will submit if they subscribe to those gender roles the same way that any other woman would. And I don't know, maybe that comes from my specific view because I grew up with a very strong, successful, career-oriented woman raising me. My mom happened when she was 16 years old and she had uh, to fight and claw her way to success without the help from any kind of a man. Um, and, you know, she did it all alone, single parent, and she raised us and she provided and she's a, she was intelligent, she was successful, and she was assertive. And no, she wasn't suffering fools. She would talk to, she, there was plenty of men that approached my mom uh, who were rejected outright because they were clowns. Like I suspect, she would meet some guy like this, this, this Myron guy and immediately write him off as a clown, rightfully so, as I would have within 10 seconds of hearing him talk. But she's also happily married to an equally successful man um, who, and, and, and has a successful marriage um, and will submit the way that her she's required to submit because it's a show of respect and loyalty to your partner. It has nothing to do with who's the stronger sex. It's just because you are 100% giving yourself to your spouse the same way that they are 100% uh, giving themselves to you. And a genuine man, a genuine leader does not have to walk into the room and kick the doors open every single time, announce that I am the man, I am the leader, and uh, you will submit to me. Most successful men don't have to do that. I am the king. I will punish you. Any man who must say I am the king is no true king. I don't kick in doors and just announce that I'm the leader. That kind of stuff just kind of happens organically in society. And a guy like this clown, you know, he's got his own podcast or whatever. But I'll tell you, I'm telling you right now, I would not let this guy coach my uh, coach a women's softball team. I would not let him coach my softball team. I don't even play softball. I wouldn't let him coach anything. Uh, he, he's just a guy. He's a clown. He's got a lot of growing up to do. That would be my immediate assessment of a guy like that. He's so intimidated by a man, by a woman of substance, to suggest that most men don't desire females that are successful because they lack submissive traits. That is such a load of hypothetical BS as I've ever heard. But I'm going to move on. Honestly, like literally everything, I really do just choose to live a life of like peace and I follow God and let him do it. If you found out your current boyfriend sucked before he was with you, would you forgive him and stay um, with him? I would forgive him, but I wouldn't be with him. There you go. <laughs> but so I you said I believe in forgiveness. <laughs> for Wait a minute. Wait a minute. And he's laughing so jovially like he just said something. So if you found out that your boyfriend is homosexual, would you forgive him? 
And she says, yeah, I'd forgive him. I just wouldn't be with him. And most people, I'm just going to assume, I'll tell you what, if I found out that my wife was a lesbian, I probably wouldn't be with her because she's not looking for me. She's looking for something else. If, uh, if one of my sisters or my daughters decided you know, that they were going to date somebody and they found out later that it was gay, I would advise them, you probably should have married that person because they probably they, they got some other internal issues that they need to resolve. It's not a good bet. They probably want something else. And so all this lady is saying, yeah, forgive him for being homosexual. It doesn't mean I got to be with him. And then he's laughing out loud, jovially, like, uh, oh, see, so you don't forgive. Because I guess in his definition, the only way you could forgive is if you stay with the guy. The sign of forgiveness is that you must submit and be with that person. Otherwise, that's not true forgiveness, which doesn't make any sense on any sort of level. But you can see the jovialness of which he's laughing, how loud and, and kind of obnoxious it is such as to bully this group of what appear to be very docile women. And it's not their show. They're not going to challenge that guy. But this guy isn't saying anything. He's saying kind of a load of garbage, and nobody's really calling him out on it because it's his show and he's kind of controlling the atmosphere. Um, but what that lady just said is makes perfect sense. Yeah, if I found out my guy was a homosexual, I probably wouldn't be with him, but I forgive him. He can live with him however he wants, which is a perfectly reasonable explanation for anybody, man or woman, given those circumstances. But all right, I'll give him another. I'll, I'll, I'll continue. Forgiveness doesn't mean acceptance. That's a no. That's a difference. Believe, forgiveness is not acceptance. Like you, for, you can forgive and not forget. You can forgive and not. Be and you mentioned it. God in that sentence. Bruh, I'll take him out of there. No, this is what I'm I trying to say. Though. Like, like no, women you're want cutting forgiveness me off, but you're not and acceptance really listening. for their behaviors. Not I didn't say I wanted behaviors. it. I just said I'm not anyone to judge. So I'm not going to tell someone what they deserve out of life. I didn't say I accept it. I didn't say I'm going to accept them. You judge them by leaving them. I, that's not judgment. That's just what I know is not going to fulfill me. I'm not. Wait, what? I don't want to be with someone who sucked 10 dicks. I know a man's not going to be with me if I just suck 10 So I never said anything. I just said I don't agree for me to be like, you don't deserve a happy life because you suck 10 I think that's judgmental, and I'm not one to judge. And that's all I was saying. But I did enjoy my time, so thank you. Everything is judgmental in life. Yeah, that's just the reality. Like, you judge that guy for sucking tons, and you die. All right, that guy didn't listen to a word that that lady just said. I thought that the young lady uh, did a really good job of giving an articulate, sensible response, and that guy was sitting there spinning his wheels, and he just turns it back into something. He's gaslighting all these women is what he's doing. And um, he's, he's full of S. And um, not even whoever that guy was in the background is not calling him out on it because he's probably, uh, I don't know, he works for the show or whatever. Uh, but this guy, Myron, is a clown. And uh, there's nothing wrong with what that young lady just said. And uh, then he just kind of throws in some nonsensical, everything in life is judgmental. Very clearly, this is a very damaged, um, hurt, um, depressed individual. And he finds solace into bullying women with his nonsensical ideologies. That's my uh, assessment of Mr. Uh, whatever his last name is, of Myron from the Fresh and Fit podcast. He's a clown, 100%. So this is going back to the question that I had kind of alluded to at the very beginning of the show about what men and women bring to the table in a marriage. And I had kind of suggested, based on the vows, if you look at it as a contract, what you're really doing is, sub is subjecting to yourself to 100%. You're giving yourself 100% to your partner. It's not servitude per se, but it's, it's, a mutual, it's a mutual give and take. It's a, you know, 100% of this person they're giving to you. 
and you're doing the same to them. And then this person is asking the question. I guess this podcast is asking the question, uh, what is in it for men to marry women? And I guess they're trying to answer that question. <laughs> Miss Mexico. Yes. What do you bring to the table to a man, right? That you're taking serious. Yeah. Outside of sex. What What do you think she will bring? No, besides no, no. I, I'm going on, on the panel. Have you ever been in a relationship that you obviously have sex, but what does she bring to the table besides that? Tell me. Well, I'm asking you the question. How it works. Oh, I'll, I have an answer, but I would like to know yours. Okay, well, let's go on the panel first, and then we'll get back to your question. So. For me? Yeah. Okay, so I'm definitely supportive. I'm definitely ambitious, and I like to be a part of your idea. So I can say comprehensive. Yeah, I got my emotions sometimes, and I want to say my opinion. But in the, and overall, like, I have really good intentions. I want to see you grow, um, because if you grow, I grow. Um, obviously, good sex. Um, great communication and I'm definitely adventurous so I'm super down I'm open-minded I'm down so I'm fun and that's what I bring to the table okay but we mentioned no sex okay no sex besides no sex okay um yeah I'm supportive I'm ambitious I'm adventurous okay. um I'm definitely open-minded you know to a lot of things so yeah I'm a good time I'm cool. a good time all right my answer is I don't know I don't know what I would bring to the table if this is me you like it, you don't, you know, let's find out. Let's figure it out together. Okay. That's, I mean, you're keeping it real. I like that. You just being honest. Wait, you said you have a boyfriend though, right? Yeah, I do. Well, well what do you do for him then? Oh, I, a lot of things. Do you want to know? Well, I mean, we <laughs> literally just asked you that. Do you want to ask him? Yeah. I'm asking you. I mean, you, you said, I'm not sure what I bring to the table. And then I'm like, wait, aren't you in a relationship? Honestly, when I'm in a relationship, I'm not like, what am I bringing to the table? Is he happy if I do this? I don't question myself all the time. I'm like, this is who I am. I Maybe saying, today. But you, you notice something interesting? Yes. When you were asked what you're looking for long term, you had a laundry list of stuff you mentioned. But then when you're asked. What I you just break... said fun, good sex and somebody who would like change with me and we both like grow together. Okay, so let's say you brought. All right. I'm not going to listen to this any further. I'm, I'm it's making my brain hurt, honestly. But um you're asking a bunch of young folks about what they bring to the table and they're all, you know, their, their answers are not well thought out. And, um, you know, they, they probably don't know. And you know what? I would say that probably none of the people sitting there on that panel are probably a good candidate to, for a person to have a successful marriage. But, um, I'll tell you what, um, marriage is not about sex. Marriage is not about romance. Marriage has nothing to do with how, much she can make you happy or how much he's going to make you happy individually. There's going to be times where your partner falls short of what you expect. There's going to be times when you're going to be bored of your partner. There's going to be times where you're going to um, not view your partner as romantically attractive as you did at the very beginning of the relationship. When I met my wife, she's 29, you know, um, and I've accepted that by the time she hits 69, she's not going to look the same. There is a progression that happens. And you know what? It's not just exclusive to her. That's going to be with me. I don't look anywhere. I do not look the same as I did when I met her when I was uh, 34 years old. I'm 43 now. Um, I look different. We change. We age. And it's in sickness and health. It's, it's whether or not you maintain your attractiveness or you don't. Pause. There's a siren. So this idea, I mean, they're trying to uh, put value um or attribute their own values to our sexuality. They, they can't seem to get away from that topic. 
Uh, but it really has nothing to do with that. It's just it's, it's if you're giving yourself to somebody in a marriage, the value that you bring is 100% of all the things that you encompass. That's really what it is. I told my wife the other day that I thought that she was a superhero. That has nothing to do with her attractiveness as a female, with her sexuality, with anything else. But the things that she brings to the table for me, I would not be able to do what I do without her contributions. Um, she has her own career. She works from home. She she is uh, helping me raise the children. She's doing. She's taking on a lot of the uh, responsibility of, of raising the children um, by herself because you know I have my career and she's doing all of those things. Uh, she's a good, upstanding, hardworking woman, female. She's very even keeled. She is um, amazingly empathetic. And sure, does she have her moments? course she does like every other female but you know what without her i couldn't be me that's what she brings to the table it has nothing to do with anything these people are talking about these children are talking about um, this is a grown folks relationship we are working together towards building a legacy and the value that she brings to me is she's one half of the legacy that we are building that is the answer the correct answer to that question uh, that myron posed and neither one of them or even close to being able to answer that intelligently. And here's the other thing too you guys got to understand, bro. We all know that women... <laughs> oh, oh uh, my body count is uh, 25! Stop, Stop the cap. cap. Bro, <laughs> no. Like, uh, yeah, it was seriously. Like, super, like, bro, super cap. There's no way. Like, no way, bro. There's no like, way. No way you got 25 body count. Like, no. Because here's the thing, bro. Uh, let me give you guys a little uh, in-depth uh, view of the female mindset, okay? <laughs> this is how women think, all right? They only count the bodies of dudes that they, like, remember and, like, had fun with, okay? That does not count the one-night stands. That does not count the dudes that they met at the foam cannon in Cancun. Shout out to our boy Rolo. Yeah. At the guys in Tulum that they smashed, you know, uh, a, a one-hitter, quitter in the bathroom stall at a club. Bro. Like, they don't count any of that. I know girls. That don't count it if it's a condom on. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, yo. Bro, y'all what? Women use all kinds of mental gymnastics to rationalize their poor behavior. Cause here's the thing, bro. <laughs> so 1000 percent facts. Notice how she said the male ego is fragile because you don't want to know that I hang out with certain types of guys, blah, 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 blah. Again, what do I always tell you guys on this podcast? Anything that represses female sexuality is always going to be met with some kind of contempt and shaming language. Small dick energy, insecure, you're, you're just jealous, uh, you're, an, you're an asshole, you're misogynistic, whatever, blah, blah, fucking blah. How dare you? But I'll tell you guys this. Like I said before, why the hell are you going to pay full price for a goddamn car that's been used? What women don't understand is men don't ask for... So then he wants a virgin then, I guess. Because they're all pretty much used unless that's the case, right? But... I'm, I'm not following this guy. Let's continue. For much, okay? If I'm going to take you seriously as a girlfriend and or a wife, my only real request is that you don't embarrass me and fuck other guys, okay? But they have the fucking gall to sit here and say, yeah, it's a care. Yeah, it's a care. No, you dumb bitch. I'm not fucking insecure. I'm very secure in my goddamn confidence. I don't want to fucking wipe up no hoe. Maybe if he sounds, maybe if he, if he shouts it loud enough, then he's going to convince himself. But he sounds, I'll tell you what, that, that whole discussion about body count, who gives a shit? Who cares? If, if you're grown, if you're over the age of 30, your partner is 
more likely than not going to have a past that didn't involve you. And the more you want to get caught up in that and without having a real a fundamental understanding of who your partner is, I guess the, the more insecure you're going to be about that. But hey, here's a newsflash for all of you prospective uh, young um, married people out there. Your partner probably has a past that doesn't involve you. They've probably been with people that look better than you. They've probably been with people that are better than you. And that's just how it is. Is that a negative? That's up to you to decide. But the results, the, the result where this guy is claiming that he's not insecure by bringing this out, it's just not a question that a secure man needs to ask. If you're secure in yourself and what you bring to the table, it's not a question that you really care about because what he's basing that off of, the foundation of where that comes from, is he's slighted as a man. He's, he's talking about these women as if they're used cars, knowing full well that he himself is 100% a used vehicle himself probably many times over. And so I don't understand the logic. Um, men are entitled to ask those questions, but females are not, I guess is, is his general premise which makes no sense on any fundamental level, because if you really want to think about it, you want somebody that has that kind of experience so that they know what they, that they're not missing out on anything. You don't want to go with somebody that has entrusted themselves to you, but they have no experience with anything else. And then they're always left wondering, well, I wonder what it would have been like if only if. That's not somebody to me that would be ready for marriage and whether or not you want to attribute, um, whatever philosophy to that is uh, or not, it doesn't matter. The point is that if he's this hell bent on bringing up body counts with people that he's been with and he's screaming so loudly that he's not, it's not because he's insecure or misogynistic. He's 100% insecure and in being misogynistic. Um, that's all I really had to say about that. I'll let him continue though. Oh, all right. And I'm tired of women out here telling dudes, small dick energy, small dick energy. You're insecure. Well, that's what it is, buddy. Bitch, I'm not going to the Lamborghini dealership with 300 bands to pay 200,000. Uh, uh, All right, I can't listen to that guy. I'm, I'm done with this clip. I can't listen to that no more. The guy's a clown. I don't know, man. I don't know. I can't with this guy. Um, I have one more clip here to uh, go over, and this is going to be the end of it. know do you think you guys will ever settle down with just one person and have kids don't bs me on your answer hmm. be like genuine like whatever no stop it stop fresh stop <laughs> stop it well we gotta pick one who goes first yeah, yeah, okay. i'll pick i'll pick that's no, not really. the way that works, Sweetheart. No, really <laughs> but it's my question. I, I, this is my is my little world. Yeah, right you now. ask your question. Yeah. Okay. And, you know what? Go and ahead. Don't answer your question for you. So, it's, so your question is just so I know I'm right. Uh, I have it right here. Uh, will we ever settle down with one woman? Yes. And be monogamous. Yes. And marry them and everything. <laughs> go first. I'm still lost. Okay. You go first. So answer truthfully. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm gonna keep it real because we keep, we keep it real on, on the channel here. Can uh -huh. I get a cat? So for me. Right? No, for me, honestly, like, I've been through a lot of, like, I would say experiences, and I've had my fair share of, um, you know, ups and downs with women as well. And I feel like at this point, I'm still young enough, and I'm still doing my grind. I want to have fun and, you know, uh, see my options. Empty. And I haven't found. I respect that guy for saying that. Seriously, that's if that's your ideology, then keep doing that until you're done with it. I haven't found anyone that's kind of like, um, 
somebody I would settle down with, I would say. However, if I do find out. Yeah, and that's the thing. You're going to find eventually somebody that you're going to want. You're going to be compelled by somebody, no matter what your ideology is right now, at some point in your life, that you are going to be willing to pay the cost to keep that person around. I mean, and what's the cost? You're going to give 100% of yourself to that person. And I'm starting with you are giving to that person, not they are giving to you. You are giving to that person. Hopefully, if you decide to get married to that person, they have that same commitment towards you. And if they don't, then, hey, you're already dead in the water. That's just the reality of it. But <clears throat> the act of being married is an act of servitude. It's an, it's an act of self-sacrifice. It's an act of protecting your partner from the perils of the universe. It's this commitment to go through something, this journey in life together. Um, and the ability to forgive, the ability uh, to stick with them side by side, no matter what happens, sickness and health, that do his partner, all of those things. That's what it is. That requires a tremendous commitment of somebody. You're asking them to give 100% of their life to somebody else. If you're not willing to do that, then there's nothing wrong with that. what that young man just said. Then by all means, continue. You can continue that forever without judgment from me. But should you ever decide to take up the mantle of marriage, then just understand that's what's required of you. And don't sugarcoat it. That's what's required. And if you're not willing to do it, then don't ever get married. And it's okay if you don't. It really is. It really sucks going through an unsuccessful marriage. So if you're going into it and you're still thinking like that and you have any doubts, then just don't. Then wait. Promise you. Um, it'll be a lot you'll be a lot better off not getting married than if you were just do it and see what happens and hope for the best. But let me uh, continue this video. Person, and we have a gender con uh, connection. At some point, I don't want to be a player anymore. I just want to chill, trust in her. When I say trust, I mean, obviously, with a, with a grain of salt. But at the same time, I mean, like, I'm going to say, you know what? She's earned her stripes for a period of time. Let's say a couple of years. And you know what? I'm cool with this. But at the same time, she's going to know up front if... For whatever reason, you know what I'm saying? I get this itch where I got to go out, things can happen. But she's going to know up front. But at the same time, she's going to be number one, taking care of all that stuff. But yes, I don't want to be a player forever. And I understand that when I get older, it's going to be... So, so he's saying he wants to have an open marriage. And you know what? That's fine. If that's what he, if that's what he wants and he says he's going to be up front like he says, then there's nothing wrong with that. Go for it. Be more, um, you know, um, grounded and stuff like that. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay, so uh, I'll answer it real quick. Um, so the question, am I going to be monogamous with one girl? Uh, hell no. No, no way. Uh, that, that's, that's foolish. Someone really hurt you. He just assumes every girl's Men, the same. No. Men don't have feelings. No, yeah. but keep going, keep going, keep going. Go ahead. Men have a tremendous amount of feelings. They just do. Uh, okay. We're sensitive creatures. Okay, I, I will, I'll, I'm going to finish my point. But my question is, how does not wanting to be monogamous mean I'm hurt? I'm just confused by that. I feel like... I feel like? Or you? No, or, no, no. or who use fact here? Oh, you feel. Saw, so from me being here last time and from being here today, yeah. I just get the idea that the reason you don't want to be like that is either you went through something with somebody before and you were like that and it went to shit. That's why you don't want to be like that anymore. Because you feel like there's no point. There's no, it's not going to benefit you in any way. So I why do it? I think this is a perfect example of the candy store. 
No, I heard this already. Come on. It's a candy store. No, no, no. Lady's not going to see No. I'm scared. It's really long, okay? Oh, Lean back. All right. Maybe I'll just chug it's it. Actually, it's actually not that long. Uh, yeah, I, I've, uh, I've refined it quite a bit. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, so there's a candy store, ladies, right? And inside this candy store, the women are allowed. At 18 years old, they're allowed to go into the candy store, do you know, enjoy as much candy as they want. And after some time in the candy store, the ladies start to realize what they like, right? They realize that Tootsie Rolls are disgusting. You know, uh, candy corn corn is gross, yellow Laffy Taffy, not good, whatever it may be, right? And you guys start to pick and choose which aisles you want to hang around by, right? Because you guys kind of have an acclimated taste of what you like in candy. The men, however, are not allowed into this candy store. The men aren't allowed into the candy store until they're 35 years old, have $100,000, and have been in the gym consistently for five years, okay? And there's only a small amount of guys that are allowed in. What the hell, dude? Until they're 35. Okay, so... Without knowing anything about this guy, that tells me that this guy was um, wildly unsuccessful with women until maybe he hit his mid-30s. He looks to be about a, I don't know how old he is, but um, I guess this is his view. You don't get to go in a candy store unless you are making over $100,000. You're about 35 years old. You have some level of success. You're in some semblance of good shape in the gym before you get to begin participating, which is just not... I'm not sure if I agree with that or not, but I'll let him finish his point. Into the candy store every now and then. So, you guys are in a candy store enjoying yourselves. Found what candy you like, maybe gummy bears, gummy worms, whatever it is. You're hanging out in your aisles. You've kind of figured out what you like. Cool. You've been in the candy store. You're versed in the candy store. The men are finally allowed in. They go fucking nuts. They're eating the Tootsie Rolls. They're eating a Laffy Taffy. They're eating the candy corn. All that candy that you guys disregarded 10 years ago that you figured out wasn't good for you, we're going nuts on it. <laughs> Right? We're going wild. Meanwhile, only a small amount of guys have been let into this candy store. So the other guys are in the back watch, watching outside. Yeah, man. Yeah. Eat, eat that candy. Fuck yeah. They're cheering them on. And the ladies look at the guys like, bro, what the fuck is your problem? Like, have you, got, have you never had candy before? What's wrong with you? Like, what the fuck? And my answer to that is this. How the fuck can you tell a guy how much candy he can eat when you guys were allowed into the candy store for free? All right, I followed his logic all the way up until that last point. Which kind of goes back to my last point that I was making where you probably want somebody that has experienced the candy store and um, knows what the candy store offers and knows the flavor that they like and are ready, ready to settle with that one flavor. As opposed to, oh my God, I finally, I got my ticket in. I'm going crazy. I want to sample all the flavors. Yeah, that speaks to, that's why you don't want a woman that has, I guess, a low body count, which is, he's demanding that, I guess, his prospective mate uh, be a virgin. Or, um, I don't know what he was trying to say. And now he's, um, he's kind of taking it some other place. Now, I don't really under, look, what he's essentially saying is he's probably he's referring to higher value men, men that make over a hundred thousand dollars. They have some level of success. They've built something for themselves, and you know they have the basis. They are attractive to the other sex, such that they are desirable marital candidates. That is a very small percentage of men, granted, but those aren't the only men that are led in the candy store. I guarantee. Um, I will say. I, I will say. Um, that I know what he's talking about because there was a time in my life when I was not an attorney, um, when I wasn't really anything. I was just a guy and I had a, you know, an undergraduate degree and um, I wasn't making very much money. And um, 
you know, I was viewed a certain way, but the second that I got my law degree past the bar and all of a sudden I was an attorney, it was just a completely different experience, but it makes sense because, you know, I was of the age where that's more where most people want to get married in their early thirties, mid thirties or whatever. You become a very attractive marital candidate when you are successful or have experienced a level of success, um, and a sustainable life, uh, that, uh, is the kind of foundation that you build legacies on. And so it makes sense that people would flock to that. But before you get there, you got your whole twenties and your, um, uh, upper teenage years to experiment with all of those things because most people of that age group are not, um, ready to, to implant themselves as the foundational piece of a legacy building operation. Um, and so I don't follow his logic there about the candy store. I feel like the candy store is way more open in your 20s than it is in your 30s. Um, but that's his experience, and I can't knock it. And I'm not going to get into the rest of the clip because we spent way too much time. I've given this guy way too much time on this show. So I'm just going to end it with this. I really feel like uh, this guy, Myron, if you were to stick him in that movie Goodwill Hunting, and he was sitting in the therapy room with Robin Williams. And uh, Robin Williams was just start saying, listen, son, puts his hand on his shoulders. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And then he's over here saying, hey, man, don't mess with me. I'm serious. And then he just keeps on saying, it's not your fault. He would break down in tears and cry like a, loud, like a little baby. There was a lot of pain in that man's voice. There's a lot of pain in the things that he says. Um, he's got some things that he needs to work through. But I will just say this for, for the young men out there. Um, do not ever, ever let another man tell you how to be a man. You will grow up and there are things that are going to become um, hallmarks for you in terms of dealing with your own personal adversities and the own, your own mountains that you have to climb. Don't ever... Tell, let somebody tell you what it is that you want or what you need. You might be attracted to something that this guy says you're not going to be attracted to. And you know why? Because that guy's freaking wrong. He's speaking for himself. Don't let him speak for you. And most of all, do not ever come to me with this uh, wayward idea that leadership means that you are uh, selfish with your needs against the needs of others. That is not what a leader is. The hallmarks of a good man, the hallmark of a leader is a man that is willing to give himself 100% to his legacy, which is his wife, which is his children. He's giving his life to build something with them. His needs are not number in the top 100 on the list. There's a hundred other things before we even get there, probably even more. The point being that a good marital candidate is somebody that's willing to sacrifice their needs for the needs of the community, for the needs of your family. One of the greatest men uh, that I know is my sister's wife, Brian. That man, um, I've, I've talked about him on the show before, but um, he got my sister pregnant before they were married, which was, you know, they're both Christian folks and, you know, mistakes happen. And uh, I remember the day that my sister wanted to tell me about it. Um, he came with her uh, to my house 
uh, to tell me that he got my sister pregnant. And I don't know what they were expecting. I don't know what kind of a reaction they were expecting from me. I don't know if they were expecting me to be angry or, to, you know, to go off the rails or, you know, to want to fight or something like that, which was not my reaction. I was like, all right, well, I mean, I guess you're family now. And so um, there's a lot of things that you're going to have to go through and you're going to have to provide to make sure that this is a working family unit. But he came to me like a man and uh, he was willing to... Um, present himself in that way with humility in a very masculine way, um, humbly. And in that way, we took him in as family and he's now married my sister and five children later, he's still around. And I can't think of another guy um, off the top of my head that I know of that is within my inner circle um, that sacrifices as much as that man sacrifices for his family. Um, and there's not an, a selfish bone in that man's body as far as i'm aware um but i'll tell you what um when i think of leaders of men he's one of the first guys that i think about guys like myron when i see people like that out in the wild out in public there i would not let them coach a softball team they're not leaders to me they are clowns they got stuff to work through they are they lack maturity they lack discipline um, they have a fundamental misunderstanding of the way human beings work. They have uh, gaping holes in uh, their spirituality, in their psyche, uh, that make them imperfect candidates uh, for marriage. And if uh, any of my daughters or my sisters or somebody that I cared about who was a female were to end up with a guy like that, there would be raving red flags that I would be trying to warn them about. Um, but no, I would not take too kindly to a guy like that. He's not a guy that I would consider a real man that I would trust to lead anything. And he's over here talking about, you know, why women crave certain things. He, he doesn't know anything about it. That is a deeply wounded animal. And he's got a lot of things to work through, and I hope he works through them. But for right now, he's just a guy with the podcast that is spouting off that nonsense. And I'm not, honestly, it's so outlandish to, for me to, it's hard for me to believe that he actually believes the things that he is saying. And if he does, you know, God help him. Uh, he, it's, it's a phase, and hopefully he grows out of it. He may not. Um, and if he doesn't, you know, that's perfectly okay. That's, that's, uh, that is his journey in life. There's men out there like that. But there's also men out there like uh, my brother-in-law, Brian, um, that uh, are more akin to somebody that is willing to sacrifice 100% of themselves for their wife and their children in return for his wife sacrificing 100% of herself for him and the children, that's what a successful marriage is. It is one of sacrifice. It's not because, oh, I'm not going to do this or that. I'm not going to try as hard because she doesn't do that thing that I like in the bed or she's not experimental sexually or she doesn't uh, whatever. She doesn't take care of herself. She doesn't put up makeup. She doesn't dress up. She doesn't whatever. Or he's let himself go. He's got a belly now and he's out of shape and you know he's, it's not as fun as it used to be and he doesn't listen to my feelings or emotions. Listen, man, I don't, I don't, I am a man I'm a little rough around the edges when it comes to that kind of thing. The biggest thing that I've told my wife, the biggest thing that I'm always going to do, I'm never going to know the exact right things to say, especially when it comes to emotions. I mean, I catch myself sometimes when my daughters are crying, you know, my three and my four year old and my 17 year old to a certain extent, you know, they're, they're crying about stuff and I catch myself. Hey, Hey, Abby, I'm gonna need you to grow a pair. Okay. No more crying. No more anything. That's not, 
you know, her approach. It's, it's my approach because I'm an imperfect person and um, I deal with emotions a lot different than they do. And so I'm not always going to have the perfect things. I'm not going to be able to write this, the notebook script about how to deal with um, my wife when she's being emotional or going through her menstruals or, you know, whatever, whatever the case it may be. But if she needs me, I will be there. I might not say anything because I don't know what I'm going to say. I might say the wrong things. And oftentimes I say the wrong things. I'm just going to be there. That's as much as I can give. That's the best that I could do. I'm there for her to yell at me or to talk to me or to cry or to do whatever. I'm just going to be there. And you know what? Sometimes that's all she needs. That's all she needs. And then, you know, you move on with life and I let her have that moment. And, you know, for men, I know that should I ever require it, that she would be there for me in the same capacity because she's willing to also give to me herself the same as I'm willing to give myself to her. That's a marriage. That's what it's about. It's not based in romance. It's not based in sexuality. It's not based in any of the things that these folks were talking about. It is pure sacrifice. That is the misconception of marriage. And I felt the need to address this topic because I've been seeing it so much pop up into my cases that I want to address it, especially around the holidays. And ladies and gentlemen, I've been going for about two hours now. The actual show might not be two hours because I'm going to edit this down as much as I can. But um, I wanted to uh, welcome you to the Tilted Lawyer podcast version 2.0. I have a lot of other show ideas. I'm definitely going to address the Maya Kowalski case. I know a lot of you wanted me to talk about that. I know the trial that just happened and the the verdict and all those things. I apologize deeply for my absence. Uh, There's been a number of reasons for that. There was a period of about a month, a, a good solid maybe six weeks where I completely lost my voice. I couldn't talk. My voice was cracking. Um, I couldn't speak without like hacking up a lung. It was really, really bad. And so it kind of just zapped my ability to to do a long form show like this. And I was not going to put out content out there where I'm like coughing my way uh, through the show. I actually um, tried to record this show um, a few weeks back and it just didn't work out because my voice was not up to par. Um, And so I apologize about it, but I am back and I'm going to be, working on putting out more content, more content like this. I'm also going to be addressing the Kowalski case. There's a number of other cases that I did want to talk about. And of course, I always um, take all of your suggestions about the show. And just to let you know, um, I'm going to be shutting down the Facebook portion of the Tilted Lawyer page. Instead, I'm transitioning that to TikTok um, because there's a lot more people on that platform. And um, I just, I don't use the Facebook really at all. And so I'm done with that, but we are now on TikTok. So be looking for us on that. Be sure to follow us on TikTok because that is going to become a thing. And um, with that, I wish you all um, a very happy Thanksgiving. Please enjoy your long weekend. I'm hoping that you got a long weekend and I know we're gearing up here for the holidays. I wish you guys the most uh, wonderful of, of, uh, of uh, Thanksgivings, weekends, times. I'm speaking too much. Um, I love you all. Um, And I will see you all next time. Bye-bye.